0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning that you would allow us the opportunity to come here and worship you, God, as we give back our tithes and our offerings that you've blessed us with. Father, I pray that you would bless these offerings that we give this week, God, I also ask that in everything that we do, we would honor you in our lives, and we would serve you in every way that we can, and we would serve the people that you put in front of us. Uh, God, I pray that you would bless Pastor Mark as he prepares to, to preach your word and that you would speak through him this morning, and uh, let us hear clearly the things that you would have for us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so last week we started in the book of James. It starts out in verse 1, saying, uh, uh, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to, to the 12 tribes dispersed of the dispersion. Uh, greetings. It's, uh, we we learn that James, first of all, is a half-brother of Jesus, one of the greatest proofs, I think, that Jesus is who he says he is, is that he convinced his own brother that he was the son of God. We also learn that uh, this uh, uh, 12 tribes dispersed, they are the, the, the Jews of, of modern, or not modern, ancient Jerusalem, <laughs> uh, that were dispersed around the time of the great persecution that came upon the church. If you read through the book of Acts, uh, you read Acts chapters 8 and 9. A guy named Stephen loses his life. He's the first martyr. Uh, for his faith. And then this guy Saul, who would later become Paul and wrote most of the, uh, most of the New Testament, uh, he goes about persecuting uh, uh, Christians in Israel and starts in Jerusalem. So uh, most of the people who are in James's church, James was the pastor of, you know, first church of Jerusalem, uh, first church anywhere. And uh, uh, they, they, a lot of his uh, parishioners, they just had to leave. They, they couldn't uh, take, uh, you know, uh, they would lose their lives if they stuck around. And so he writes this letter to be circulated amongst them uh, and he starts right out in verse 2 talking about their trials, because these are a people under trial. They are uh, in the midst of great persecution. Uh, they've lost their homes and their, uh, their livestock, their, their abilities to, to tend for themselves. They're, uh, they're just living day to day, you know, uh, and, and they are wondering why God has forsaken them in and, 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 and great trial. So James says to them, count it all joy, my brothers when you experience trials of various kinds. It's not saying that they got to paint on a smile and act like everything's hunky-dory when it's not. I think God likes authenticity. But uh, beyond that kind of, you know, denial-type stuff, uh, he, he wants us to see the good that comes from trials. Trials are God's classroom. I, I don't know about you, but I, I rarely learn things unless I have to. And it's, <laughs> it's right? We're yeah. uh We're human. And so it's when we go through tough stuff and we have to learn uh, from those tough things and how to handle those tough things that we truly develop in, in our, our lives. And so that's what God does. He purposes to take trials to teach us to be spiritually tough. He uses each one to prepare us for the next one. That's another thing we learned that uh, trials aren't a matter of if. They are an assurance of when. Uh, they are coming. And so every trial is, is meant to strengthen us and toughen us for the next trials that come. We saw that God's ultimate end game in our, our trials is for our, our maturity. He wants to make us complete and lacking nothing. He wants us to, to, to grow in our relationship with him, for us to be less dependent on ourselves and more dependent on him with every day that we live. He told us to be uh, uh, sure that we, uh, when we ask for wisdom, isn't it great that God is willing to give us wisdom in the midst of the stuff we don't understand? I think that's pretty cool. But he says, listen, if you're going to ask, ask believing. Don't come to me with that half uh, ask, and, and yeah, I stopped in the middle of it, but I, there it went. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's been a rough day for that. I said some stuff last, that I'm not going to say this one, I promise, I won't say it. But. Yeah, he, doesn't, he wants us to believe fully that uh, what we ask of him is possible. Not that it's going to absolutely happen. Let me, let me just do a quick message on uh, everything you ask from God, you're not going to get. Everybody knows that, right? Because his will is perfect and ours is not. Is everybody grateful that we all, all get what we want? Uh, uh, th- it would probably work against us if we had everything that I desired or you desired in life. But uh, he, he gives us, according to his will, answers to our prayers. Sometimes uh, he gives us uh, paths out of things and he delivers us from our trials. But sometimes he gives us the strength to stand up in the midst of our trials as he walks us through them. But when we ask, we should ask, believe. And then he uh, we finished last week As we fast forward to what we're gonna talk about today in verse 12, and we're gonna talk about bad news and good news today, but in verse 12 it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Uh, God rewards perseverance. He blesses those who stick with him in life. May not be the blessings that you're hoping for or expecting from him, but ultimately, he is the rewarder of those who persist with him. He, he loves to love on those who love him. That's what it says there at the end. Uh, God has promised these, uh, this crown of life, this reward to those who love him. And it stands to reason. If, if we truly love God, then it's easier for us to trust God and follow God. If we kind of love God, it's harder for us to trust God and even harder uh, to follow him. And if we don't love God, we're not even going to listen to God and therefore not follow him at all. Are you with me? So this love and this perseverance are tied together, and they, they result in when we, when we exercise them with God's reward. It's all over the Bible, the examples of this. I, I like Abraham. Remember him? He's the, the father of all the Jewish uh, nation, and he is uh, promised in Genesis chapter 12 that his, he's going to have descendants like the sands of the shore. I mean, there are just going to be so many people that come from here. You're not going to be able to count them. Uh, but then he lives to be 100, and he still doesn't have... Kid one. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to fill some beaches, God, we've got to get going here, right? And then finally, Isaac arrives. Remember that? And he, he is the joy of Abraham and Sarah's life. And then one day, uh, Isaac's probably a teenager, and God comes to Abraham and says, hey, time's up on Isaac. I need you to go take him up a hill and sacrifice him to me. Uh, a common practice, by the way, in the pagan religions of Abraham's time, uh, people did human sacrifices all over the place. Uh, and so uh, Abraham had probably heard of or maybe even witnessed this kind of thing in his time, but now God was asking it of him to give this child of the promise back. Well, Abraham loved and trusted God. He'd learned a lot of things through the trials that he had been through. Read his story. There was many, all right? And so he got to this one, and he's like, well, God's already promised me I'm gonna have a, you know, a beach full of kids here. Uh, uh, this is the only one I got, and so... Uh, if, if it ain't him, uh, you know, he'll, he'll provide another one, or if it is him, if he is the child of the promise like he think he is, even if I sink my knife into my son, God's gonna bring him back. He, we know this because he went to his servant right before he walks up the mountain that he's gonna sacrifice his son on, and he says, in essence, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, we'll be right back. He uses the plural and belies his confidence that God's either gonna, at the last moment, deliver him. And Isaac, from this request, or he's gonna bring him back to life. Well, they, if you know the story, they go up on the mountain. It's very dramatic. Isaac's all tied up. He's on the, the altar. And Abraham's got the, it says he's got the knife over the kid's chest. And God says, all right, we're good. Just checking. Wanted to make sure that you truly loved me, that you truly trusted me. And then you know what he does right after that? You can read it in Genesis 22. He says, you know what? All the promises I made to you 10, ten chapters ago in chapter 12, they're going to happen. All the things that I uh, am going to bless you with, I'm going to bless you with those. And somehow it was and still is for us directly tied to our perseverance with him. If we stick with him, uh, the crown of life is ours. Uh, He'll bless us in our lives. Now, uh, this is kind of a pivot verse in the first chapter. It, uh, it, it, it speaks of everything that he's talked about in the, in the sermon that we preached last week, all the external circumstances, the trials that we face out here. He says, listen, man, if you stick with me, you're blessed. I'll give you the crown of life. But it's also pivoting us into what he's going to talk about next, which is the internal stuff, the inside stuff. Any trial you come to, there's, there's two components, the things out here that you can't control and the stuff in here that you can So as you're trying to figure out what to do with your husband, wife, kids, job, life in general out here, You have to make decisions in here that affect what goes on out here, right? And so that's where we're going to go next. And and ultimately, I don't mean to be completely black and white, but but pretty much you've got two choices when it comes to making internal decisions. You can go with God or not. You can be righteous, follow him, or you can sin and follow him not. And that's where James is going to take us next because he's talking to these people who are in great trial, great persecution, And you got to know that they're tempted to do some things that just aren't in line with what God says. And so he says, hey, man, while I'm talking to you about your outside circumstances, let me talk about what's going on inside. Let's deal with sin. Today I want you to think about maybe an area of your life uh, that you know is sinful. Uh, There's probably more than just one, if you're like me. Uh, But one of the areas that maybe you trip up on more than others, one of the areas that uh, you've been asking God to deliver you from, for years, it's just, it's your, it's your spot. I want you to think about those, uh, that area as we talk about these things today and see if God can give you some clarity on how to handle that. I'm gonna talk about sin, and sin, of, uh, of course, is bad news. Everybody agree? Sin's some bad news, and, and, but here's the deal. God can't be blamed for it. That's what we learned in the first verse we're gonna study today. Verse uh, 13 of James chapter one says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's been one of our favorites since the beginning. Does anybody remember Adam and Eve? Remember, they were the first ones to sin, right? They you know, uh, got us started. Thanks a lot, fellas. But uh, Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and you know, it's Adam, Eve, and the snake. And God comes in, and he says, hey, man, what happened? And so Adam starts, and does he say, it was my fault, I did it? Is that what he says? No, if you've read the Bible, that is not what Adam says or Eve says. The snake's fine with it. He's like, yeah, I totally totally did this. But Adam and Eve are both pointing, right? And and Adam's first point is to who? The The wife. He says, this woman. And then what's his second point? That you gave me. So right after he blamed her, he blamed him. If you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done this. It's all your fault if it's not all her fault. Yeah, Uh, James says, no, 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 that is not the case. And he gives two reasons for it. He says, for God cannot be tempted with evil. The Bible tells us in many places that God is holy. It tells us to be holy as he is holy. And and what it speaks of there is is the essence or the the idea that God uh, cannot sin. Everybody says, well, wait a minute, God can do anything. No, he can't because his character dictates his actions. Who he is in his perfection and holiness limits him in what he will do. And I will tell you this. This is true. This is theology 101. God cannot, will not, and does not sin, ever. It's just not a part of him. It's just not in there. Therefore, since he doesn't sin, it's impossible for him to tempt someone else to do so. He can't give you something that he doesn't have. I used to take my uh, son, uh, Cooper, uh, out you know, uh, in, in when he was a little boy, three, four years old, and he, he was one of these obsessive toy kids. He, he, he would forget every other toy and just kind of fixate on one toys specifically, or a group of toys. When he was like three or four, he got these plastic frogs from like a a Chuck E. Cheese ripoff that we had in Texas, and he named them. There was Rosie and Hopper, and he just had all these different frogs, and he just, you know, wanted to have his frogs with him all the time. Well, uh, he would put them in his little pockets, little three-year-old pockets, and they could hardly hold these frogs, and they'd fall out, and we'd find them and chase them. So we just made the deal. Listen, everywhere we go, we'll take the frogs, and then if you want to play with them, you know, dad will haul them out of his pocket, and it was kind of embarrassing every once in a while. I'll give somebody a couple quarters and you've got frogs in your pocket. They're, my, they're not mine. They're not, anyway. Um, one time we were out with Cooper and he, he wanted the frogs. And I said, well, did you bring them? And he's like, no, I didn't bring them. And he said, well, I didn't bring them. And he's like, knock it off. Give me the frogs. He got really kind of testy with me. Give me the frogs. I want to play with the frogs. And he even came up to my pants and started hitting my legs looking for the frogs in my pants pockets. So I went all bunny ears on them. I was like, bro, I don't have them. They're not in there. I can't give to you what I don't have. And God the Father looks at us when sin comes into our lives. And we get mad because this is what we do, right? We blame him. If, if he hadn't allowed me to get into this situation, if he hadn't allowed me to meet so-and-so, I would have never cheated on my wife. If he hadn't allowed me, and we, we kind of, you know what that's like? That's like blaming the hotel. I took these kids uh, on a thing called Senior Sneak when I was a youth pastor in Texas. And uh, we went to this hotel. And on the last night we were at this hotel, this This wonderful kid um, (coughs) decides that he's going to dye his hair blue uh, for his graduation the next week, and he chooses to do it in the hotel bathroom on this weekend, and he doesn't read the bottle, and he just lets the blue ring sit in the tub overnight so that now it has coated, painted, stained this hotel tub. And I had some excellent things to share with him the next morning and uh, clarified for him in that situation that he and his parents would be paying for such repairs because, you know, I wasn't there when you made the boneheaded move to dye your head. But here's what he could have done. He could have said, well, it's the hotel's fault because if the hotel hadn't rented me the room, I would have never dyed my hair in their tub. Okay, does anybody think that's going to hold up in a business situation? Anybody here own a company and had that as an excuse as to why uh, you, know, uh, they should, you should get your money back? It's because it's your fault because you sold me this machine. Okay, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's ridiculous, but we try that with God. Hey, God, because you, you made me, because you made me like this, which isn't true. We'll get to that in a second. We're, we're fine sinning uh, all by ourselves. But, but because you put me in these environments, you put me around these people, you made it impossible for me not to sin. So sin is your fault. It's just not true. Can I go on? Now sin, sin is not just, uh, not God's fault. Uh, sin is bad news. <clears throat> I'm gonna keep going, keep going for me. Yeah, don't, that's the one I want you to keep going on. Let's keep going. Uh, Sin is bad news that has a common source. It's bad news that has a common source. Each person is tempted, uh, it's said, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, right there he had the recipe for sin. I don't know if you saw it there in that verse, but there's two ingredients to every sin. There is external temptation, which is uh, brought to us courtesy of our adversary, just like in the garden, all right? Uh, Satan is in the business of trying to draw God's createds away from God and into rebellion against God. So whether he is tempting you himself personally or through one of his minions that we call him demons, or if he's just using the vehicle of the world that he happens to be the prince of right now, and just using uh, you know, uh, the, the vast media resources that he has to just pump us with all kinds of licentious and, and, and sinful stuff, and make us think that this is the best way to live life. And, and he's just tapping into our greed and our lust and our uh, anger and bitterness and, 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 and just trying to produce in us all these things that are not God. He, that's his role. He's out here. Um, basically, if, if I can read the verse, it says, uh, yeah, verse 14, it says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He, uh, he's kind of the lure the, 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 the dangler. He's got the fishing rod, and he's out there going, come on, you want to do this, come on, it'll be fun. You know, he's, even, he's got the fly casting down. He's going right to where you are. He's like, hey, you got to try this. It's going to be awesome. Right? That's his role. Now, he's counting on the fact that we will take the bait. And here's how that works. Just so we know, theologically speaking, we are positionally, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have gone from being in sin in uh, darkness to being in his righteousness and to being uh, led into the light. Positionally, that's what happened. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here, here's what I believe uh, happened that day that you chose to follow him. You went from being guilty to being innocent because of what Jesus did for you on the cross and your faith in him. Are you with me? So positionally, that's what happens. But practically, all right, between now and when we get to see him, here's the reality of a Genesis 3 world. We're in a world that is just racked with sin, and we have this tug-of-war going on between our new selves and who we used to be without Christ, and every once in a while, we take a vacation from who we are in Christ, and we head back over here, and we just kind of la-la-la-la-la in our sinful old selves and make horrible decisions and then uh, hopefully after a while of doing that, realize that that was wrong and we run back to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness and we repent and all those things. And maybe have a, 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 a period of time where we're living uh, righteously and, and honoring God in that area of life. But then all of a sudden, here comes those lures again. And then we're right back over here. Because it's this constant talk. Anybody feel it? Anybody feel the tension of knowing, like Paul, I know what's right But I just can't make myself choose it. It's because I always want to go over here in my flesh. That's the recipe of every sin. It's uh, us uh, succumbing to the temptations of our adversary and his elements in the world uh, because our old selves want that, not God. Now listen, isn't it great that some of us have been given grace and we're not tempted by everything? Can you imagine how exhausting it would be if you were tempted by everything that's out there? Like some of us have never even had a drink of alcohol. So you would have to actually take drink one to even start becoming an alcoholic, right? But it's just never been a temptation for you. So this is uh, Ben's uh, magnet, whatever, name tag. Is that what they call these? He's our production coordinator. This is, he loaned this to me. He's very nice. Uh, when we wear these, we put the magnet underneath, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but uh, it kind of symbolizes for me what happens with us. Some things in life... Uh, our our old nature is not gonna pick up on. Satan will try to tempt us and we'll just kind of be like, no, that's not a problem for me, God's grace. No, that's not a problem for me, God's grace. But here it comes. I'm a gossip. And that stuff sticks. Or for the fellas, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm alone by my computer, porn. And that stuff sticks. Why? He's given us grace in some things. And uh, our sin nature is stronger in other things. And so all of a sudden, you know, I love it when people tell me, you know, it's just, it's just how I am. No, it's not just how you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when they, when they make excuses for why they act the way they act, like especially angry people, I love that one. Hey I man, I'm just amped up. I'm just an angry guy. It's how my daddy was. It's how I am. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been saved from that. Now, that might be your tendency, and that might be the area of sin that you're like, no problem, no problem, no problem. My wife said something to me. And here we go. And I'm going to light the house on fire, say things that I'm going to regret. But it's somehow not my fault because it's just how I am. No, it's just where you're weakest. And that's how Satan gets us. He doesn't go to our areas of strength. He hits us where the walls are weakest. The common source of our sin is that each person is tempted when he is lured by temptation, and it tempts us in our own fleshly desires. We had this dog, Daisy, uh, years ago. It was a basset hound. And it always amazed me uh, that uh, this this short-legged dog could uh, basically rear up on its hind legs and, and reach everything on our table. It would go from being this short little thing to this tall monster. And uh, so uh, we learned this the first time we left the, the, the table at dinner and uh, tried to help our kids go to the bathroom, whatever, they were little, and uh, uh, came back, and the dog had eaten everything off our plates. Oh. So here's what I did. Bad dog, right? Send him outside, you know, when Eleanor wasn't looking, maybe just a little gentle nudge, right? But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I tried to train this dog not to eat the food, and and when I looked this dog in the eye, I I really felt like we were connecting. You know, he was really understanding the you know the importance of eating the the, you know the garbage food in his dish, and leaving the good stuff for us. But the next time we left the kitchen, guess what Daisy did? I don't I don't even know if there was like a, a question. I wasn't there. I wasn't watching. But I don't know if it was like instantaneous or if there was like this, oh, conscientious, do I do this or not? Maybe I can just eat one plate and they won't notice. But all of a sudden the dog is up on its haunches and we come in, Daisy! <laughs> you know, and, and isn't it funny how dogs know to get out of there? I mean, he ate the last biscuit and he was just like, go, oh, you know, I'm out of here. She was just out of here. And that's us in certain areas of life, in certain areas of sin, we know we're not supposed to do it. We know it's not you know, going to end up good. But we just can't help it apart from the grace of God. Sin is, uh, thirdly, bad news uh, that has a common course. It has a common source, temptation in our old man, but it has a common course too. Look at what it says in verse 15. It says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He talks about uh, sin and its uh, methods or its ways of working in our lives in terms of, of pregnancy. He talks about gestation and that it gives birth, like, like temptation and all these things. It, it takes, t- it, this, isn't this true? Like, like the first time that you're tempted to do something, maybe you say no. Maybe the first 10 times you're tempted to do something, you're like, no problem, no. But then the next 10 times, it's harder. And the next 10 times, you're like, man, this might be a good idea after all. And then... At, over time and over time and over you know a period of temptation you're finally like you know what I'm just going to give it a try I'm going to see what happens and it's that period of time that gestation period uh, that, that gets us into trouble we stay in the, in the, the, the uh, proximity of sin we stay in the spots where we can be tempted and over time it just wears us down uh Sin is one of these things that uh, when it does happen, it brings forth death. It's got the same result over and over and over. You don't have to be confused about, where's this sin gonna take me? Listen, sin will always take you farther than you thought you would. It'll always cost you more than you thought it would cost. And it'll always be harder to get rid of than you ever thought. That's just the nature of sin. In the in the writer uh, the, or in the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that sin... Uh, uh, easily entangles us. It's this picture of just being wound up and, and, and stripped of mobility. It immobilizes us to the point where destruction is the only result. That's what it says here. It's another way of saying that sin, uh, uh, when it's conceived, gives or, or, or desire, when it's deceived, and temptation, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, or when it's conceived, gives birth to death. Uh, I could tell you story after story of how this has happened in my own life and it's how it's happened in the lives of people that as I've been a pastor for 25 years, I've just watched it go on. Marriages crumble. uh, Lives are altered forever uh, because it started small. It started with people saying no and then over time they, they wore down they said yes and then over time that first yes turned into just a big mess. And life has changed forever. I had this kid, Clay, in my youth group. He was 15. His parents divorced that year. And uh, it just it messed with him like a lot of times it does with with families who go through divorce. He got angry at God, his parents. Uh, and so he started hanging out with the other angry kids in his his school. There's lots of them, right? And uh, they started, you know, going places and being rebellious. And, and uh, one of the kids uh, 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 scored a bag of uh, black tar heroin uh, at his uh, Uh, His brother had, I don't know, but he got heroin and uh, uh, started using it and tried to get Clay and his other friends to use it. And for the the longest time, Clay said no. And then finally one night, Clay had his first taste. And that first taste, if you know anything about drug addiction, uh, uh, the first one's free and then everything else costs after that, right? And so that first taste turns into Clay just living for his next high. Uh, he, he, he exhausted all of his resources. He started stealing from his mom, took all the appliances in his house as a high schooler and started selling them so he could get money to score drugs. And then uh, once they were out of appliances, he started stealing from his uh, neighborhood houses. And uh, and that ended him up in jail. He got out of jail and uh, got clean, you know, for a period of time and, uh, you know, was a part of church. His mom was part of church, praying for him this whole time and came back. And, and we were friends, you know. He was one of those kids that I just had a heart for her, and I said, Clay, is this it? Is this it? He's like, yeah, Mark, you know, God's got me, and I'm good. But then, months later, phone call. and said, old pal. And this is how it works, right? The lure comes, and it dangles out in front of you. And he was using again, did the same thing, did it three times. Now he's in jail for 15 years, all because got mad at God, got mad at the world, and put the needle in his arm once, Right? And that's where this stuff leads. Some of you are like, Mark, that's dramatic. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a this or that or something else. Okay, good for you. Praise God. He's blessed you that way. But you got something in your life that's messing things up. If you're allowing some sin to persist, it doesn't have to be heroin. It can be. Spin the wheel. Name yours. But if left unchecked, listen to me, if left unchecked, that sin is going to continue to bring death to your life over and over again until God gives you victory over it. It's just how it works. So what defense do we have against our desire to sin? Uh, What what defense do we have against our desire to sin? Uh, There's two things principally. The first one is distance. The Bible talks a ton in the scriptures about what we should do with sin. And the, and, the, and the big key is run. Get out of there. This guy Joseph in the book of Genesis, Genesis I'm studying it right now in my life group. Uh, he was this young, it says in the Bible, it's one of the only times that it says uh, that a person in the Bible is good looking. He was a handsome dude and he was a servant uh, for his boss in his house. And his boss's wife, his boss' name was Potiphar, his boss's wife took a hankering to Joey and wanted, you know, Joey. And so kept asking over and over again if they could, you know, maybe hook up. And so uh, Joey kept saying no and kept saying no and kept saying no until this one day, uh, apparently, you know, the, the planets were aligned for this woman and the situation was perfect. And she wasn't taking no for an answer. And so she cornered the boy, grabbed him by his coat. And even then, Joseph was like, no, 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 no. And he runs out of the house without his Levi's. He just he leaves everything that would cover him back with the woman and takes off out of the house because for him to run around naked outside was better than for him to sin against his God and dishonor him. He, he was a runner. Someone like, coward? No, that's not a coward at all. That's a different kind of running. That is a smart man who puts distance between him and sin. Uh, Paul wrote to his friend Timothy, and he said this, Uh, flee, flee youthful passions. And then he says something that's very important for us to understand. It's not just put distance between you and sin, distance between you and the things that could lead to sin. You need to replace all the energy and time that you would give to sin with things that will lead you to God. Look what he says here. Flee youthful passions and pursue instead righteousness and faith and love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You know why we push things like life groups and youth groups and and all those kinds of things? You know why we're so big on you having relationships with other Christians? I mean, other Christians aren't perfect, but at least, hopefully, they're heading in the same direction that you're supposed to be. And by God's grace, if you're around people of the truth, if you're around people who want to honor God, some of that's going to rub off in your life. And if you're spending time with them as opposed to spending time in the things that will lead you into sin, well, you're going to have a better chance of not sinning. Are you with me? It says in Matthew, if your, uh, if your hand causes you to sin or your foot causes you to sin, what do you do with it? Cut it off. Now, this is hyperbole, all right? I don't want people out there, you know, finding skill saws and things like that. Uh, this is not to be taken literally, but it does go to the, to the, man, the intensity with which we're supposed to handle sin. It's not meant it's supposed to be this kind of passive thing. Everybody's doing it. The Kardashians says it's okay, so, you know, it must be okay. No, it, it, it's meant to be, hey, that sin, that's going to hurt me, and it's going to hurt God through me. i got to get away from that. i got to deal with it decisively. I've told guys to burn their computers, and you're like, that seems extreme and expensive. Hey, man, if it keeps you from sinning against God with your eyes, so be it. We lost a computer, Right? I've counseled families uh, who have someone in them who is uh, unable to say no to this other person who's not in the marriage to move, to quit their jobs, to do whatever is necessary for the sanctity and and the honor of their home. And and people look at me and they're like, that just seems extreme. Are you kidding me? The alternative is extreme. To not deal decisively with sin is extremely foolish, and it's just going to bring the death that none of us want to experience. Distance, huge deal when dealing with sin. But this is the most important thing, dependence. Dependence, keep going, dependence. Dependence, we talk about this all the time, that we exist to surrender to God. We are existing in life. Humans have been made with this sole goal of being dependent on God for what we need. Paul wrote in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. The life I now live in the flesh, the life that I now live, battling against all the sins and temptations of the world, my old desires and all the stuff out here. He says, I'm trying to live that now by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I share with you some good news as we close? Here's some, oh, good. You want to hear it? Just one guy? Okay. The rest of you don't listen. I'm going to tell you. In the midst of our sin, God brings the good news. You want you to hear the good news? Okay, first of all, he's going to finish here in James. He's going to say this, verse 16. He says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's saying, Don't be a sucker. Don't be a fool. Because here's what's going to happen I'm going to finish preaching this message, and you're going to get out there just like I get out there sometimes after hearing truth. And we're going to be uh, exposed to the world and the things the world has to offer again. And we're going to be saying, well, maybe Mark wasn't right. Or maybe James was just, you know, uh, you know I mean, that's old and that's back in the day. And, and, and so these things are okay now. And we're going to start listening to our old desires and to the temptations that are in the world. We're going to be like, yeah, it's okay. And when we do, the Proverbs tell us all over the place that we're fools. We're suckers. And James says, don't be one of those. Don't be deceived. And then he gives us the good news. Everybody ready for the good news? He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, let's just pick this one apart, and I'll let you go. How many of the good gifts? How many of them? If there's something in your life that's good, who did it come from? God. God is the giver of every. Good and perfect gift. Now, i got to break this down for you. These are two different Greek words. Good gift and perfect gift. It's two different Greek words. And, and the first Greek word basically means that God gives at the right time. It's a good gift and it's on time. So, like, uh, ever had one of those hard days and maybe a good friend or your spouse or someone comes in with flowers or comes in with... Like, uh, my wife, Alan, are like circus peanuts, okay? I don't understand it either. Uh, it's, it's like eating Styrofoam. But um, just orange. Anyway, uh, uh, but these circus peanuts, she loves them. And, and there have been times in, in our marriage, not many because I am unfortunately not as sensitive as I should be all the time, but there will be times where I'll come in and I'll give her circus peanuts or I'll buy her flowers on a particular day. And, and not always, but many times I come in and she's like, oh, I needed this. I needed to know that there was someone out there thinking of me or I needed to have something pick me up in the midst of raising, if it was when we were younger raising our kids and being at home with them and all these things. I just needed this. Thank you. It was right on time. That's the nature of God's gifts to us. They're right on time. Johnny on the spot, right? But they're not just right on time. They're the perfect gift. Who's ever been at Christmas and you opened a gift and you're like nice try. <laughs> Anybody ever had that? Thanks for thinking of me but I'm re-gifting this one, right? This will probably fit my friend, okay? But I ain't wearing it, right? Okay, there's probably something wrong with us on that, not being very grateful. But uh, some gifts we receive, we can't use them. Like my son, when I was, when I was a, a father of my son as, as a teenager, he bought me one year a Snuggie. Ben bought me a Snuggie. Snuggies don't fit this, okay? They're just not the right size. He, and he told me many times that he loved Snuggies, Right? And I, I'm not saying that he, you know, I won't. Yeah, I will. Here we go. Uh, I'm pretty sure he bought me the Snuggie because he knew I'd give it to him. Anybody ever, anybody ever done that to someone? I bought this for you. Now, those kinds of gifts aren't the great thing, but, but here's what God does. God gives us the perfect gift right on time. Every good, timed gift and every perfect, the perfect gift comes from God. Uh, Sometimes those gifts are even uh, uh, trials. And we can't see them as good because, in the midst of them, it it doesn't seem good. But everything that He gives to us, the really great stuff and the not so great stuff, is good, right on time, and perfect, just what we need. It says that He's the Father of lights. That just means that uh, uh, He is the Creator of all things. He created the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the lights, everything that is. He's able to give us whatever He wants. His supply is endless. And it says finally that there's no variation or shadow due to change in him. He's constant. And if you leave with no other encouragement today, here's the deal. God loves you. He is crazy about you. I mean, even if you've been racked by sin, even if sin has brought death to your life and ruined this or ruined that, here's the deal. Despite all that, God is nuts about you. He loves you completely without end. It will never change. High schoolers, no matter what happens in your life or has happened in your life, that is a lockdown sure thing. God's love for you is unending and it'll never change. And His intent for your life is good and that'll never change. And he'll be there for us in the midst of every calamity and trial and that will never change. So now, whether our trials come from the circumstances and the the issues in people's lives around us or our trials rest mostly in here with us making the right decisions and honoring God with this life, let us remember God's not tempting us. Sin comes as a result of you and me, our old man, our old flesh, liking the stuff of the world. It's always going to work the same way. It's going to start in us. We're going to be tantalized and lured away from God. It's going to take time maybe for us, but unfortunately every once in a while we're going to fall into sin. And When that happens, the only thing that can result from that is death. But God loves us. He doesn't want us to be deceived like we learned last week, if we'll just ask him for wisdom, if we'll just trust him, he'll lead us out. I saw the movie Sully, I'll close with this. Uh, Sully is this movie about this plane that lands on a river in New York. Remember that one? A couple years ago, 10 years ago probably now. But they put a, they put a U.S. Air uh, flight on the Hudson River and everybody survived. Uh, I watched that and was grateful that I wasn't getting on a plane the next day. Uh, but it reminded me that I don't ever listen to the safety instructions at the beginning of a flight. Is anybody else like that? Like I'm doing anything else but listening to the lady telling me how to fix my seatbelt. All right? But I remember as part of that safety instruction uh, that if there is an, a, a, an event of an emergency, there's, there's these lights that light up the aisles so that if, if the plane's smoky and there's chaos, at least you can follow the lights to where the exits are. And, and, and they assure us that these nice people who give us you know, drinks and stuff like that, they're going to make sure that we get off these planes safely, right? And that's, that's the provision of God. In our temptations, God is the lighted aisle. He's the exit over the wings. He sends us these uh, stewards, these fellow followers who can be our accountability partners and help us get out of sin. That's his, that's his hope and his mission in us or for us and hope for us, is that we would follow him. So now, may you and I do that to the glory of God, and may you be uh, delivered from the sins that so easily entangle you. Uh, That's my prayer for us all, amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your your grace to us in life, for uh, forgiving us of our sins through our faith in Jesus. Uh, Thanks for that being a positional truth for everybody in here who is a Christian. But Lord, even uh, as we persist in life and we walk through life, uh, you practically step into the areas of life where we we so uh, easily get uh, tied up in temptation and in our flesh. And you want to help us with those things too. So I can't help but think that there are people out here struggling with addiction. There are people out here who have always been angry. There are people out here uh, who are um, trapped in whatever their sin is. I want to pray, God, that they would turn away from whatever that sin choice is and by your grace they would be delivered, they would be healed, they would be um, um, brought out uh, from who they were without you into who they are with you. May you be uh, their all in all. Uh, uh, For me and for us to live, if we're followers of you, Jesus, for us to live is Christ like we sang earlier. Help us to put you in your rightful spot and to follow you all our days. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll talk to you next week. Go and sin no more.